This is the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. I'm Damien Roos. It's not, uh, it's not a super valuable job for the team, something a lot of guys could do. It's, it's, it's more of a, a thing that who could put up with this job than who could do this job. It's more of a thing that who could put up with this job rather than who could do this job. This is ex-pro Phil Guyman talking about his time riding in the World Tour for Cannondale. And he doesn't make pro cycling sound like the dream job we probably all think it is. I certainly never thought about pro cycling as a job, but then again, I've never been a pro cyclist. And if you think really hard about it, it would be no surprise that pro cycling is no different to any job out there. I mean, that behind the glamour, there's the not so glamorous side. Maybe you already knew this. Maybe you've experienced it firsthand, or maybe you've kind of guessed it after watching riders continue through the snow at the 2013 Milan San Remo or stage five of the 2015 Tour of Oman with its strong winds, sandstorms, and temperatures over 40 degrees Celsius. Cycling can be just as shitty as any other high-profile profession where you get taken advantage of for money, for time, and sometimes your ambition. But hey, if you want to live the pro cycling dream, you've got to take the bad with the good. And that's what today's show is about. A look at both sides of pro cycling with ex-pro Phil Guyman. Phil retired in 2016 after reaching world tour level twice and recently released a book about his time as a pro. Written as a role player rather than a champion, it's his story and his writing at its best. And after reading the book entitled Draft Animals, Living the Pro Dream Once in a While, I thought it would be fun to get an insight on both sides of life as a pro. So I got him on the phone and gave him my top five reasons to go pro and my top five reasons not to go pro to see if he concurs. Warning, we do get off topic a little about the odd story when things go right and when things go wrong. The top five reasons to go pro. The first thing that I've got here is I'm starting with an easy one. You get to see the world, you get paid for it, you get to race, you do training camps, drinking camp, and you're basically living the dream as far as any cyclist is concerned. Do you agree with that? Um, yeah, that would be the, that's probably the best part that I took away from it is, is I've, it's, it's funny. We're like, I'm, I'm, I live in LA now and, and every girl I go on a date with is like, Oh, I want to travel and see the world. And I'm like, I've seen it. I don't want to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I like my neighborhood. I don't actually, I don't want to even sit in my car in traffic in this town um, to see the other side of it. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a great way. Like ultimately like everyone would, would love to get to see everything in the world before they die. Um, and, and I, I checked, I checked a lot of those boxes by, by age 30 of like, I've seen not everywhere, but I've seen a lot of Asia. I've seen a lot of Europe. Um, I've seen way too much in the United States, um, which is, which is a great thing that, that cycling, uh, helped me get to. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Number two, just riding your bike with no side hustles needed to survive, which there's a bit of a side note here because pretty much your entire cycling life, you've had to have some type of hustle and you've kept going no matter what. Um, but you know, the final year when you went all in, as you say, that's, that's a, a, a good reason to go pro that you can do that. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think for, for me, it was ironic at the time my, my side hustles got me to be a pro to turn them off. Um, <laughs> cause that's the nature of like a business is you can't necessarily just stop it. But yeah, if, for it's, and I, and I think very few cyclists really get the luxury of like, I'm, I'm paid enough to do this and focus on 
and, and it's not so much like I, I always had enough time to to focus on my training and and my and my fitness and sort of like that I don't I just don't think that's really a full time job. Um, but to focus on your health and and the extras and the stretching and the foam rolling and being able to like afford to eat like an athlete should eat um, all all those little things to really treat your body as it deserves to to compete at that level and to be its best. Um, is, is, a it's, it was, it was a great time in my life. And, uh, and, and I think it's a, it's a luxury and, and a, and a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you're actually able to take a couple of deep breaths, um, preparing for this, you know, like I remember reading about how you just, um, you got, you felt like you got to that point, you got over the hump where that was kind of going to be the norm and you were relaxing into that mode as well. Right. Right. Where you could being not needing the side hustles for the first time and not, and sort of knowing that like, okay, this is where your next, this is where the next year of, of your bills will come from. Um, and now I can sort of like actually rest, like normally rest would be staring at my computer and doing like, I'm resting because I'm not on my feet, but, uh, but I was, I'd be running a business or or making calls or or some form of of other work. Um, and, and being able to, to not need that and actually rest all of my systems at once, uh, was, was also rare, but, but beautiful. It didn't actually work that well (laughs) that, uh, I ended up performing about the same, I would say as, as I would have with, with the side hustles. My, my last year racing, I was, I was ended up halfway through. I started writing a book, um, which, which I found to be healthy and, and restful, um, and, and kind of good for my performance. But, you know, if, if you're, if you're writing a book, it's kind of, it's journaling, basically, it's not, it's not burning calories and it's not bad for you. I think a lot of people, uh, I think there's a percentage of people who are better doing something all the time and, and I'm in there and, and that's not to be, people shouldn't be hard on themselves if, if they can't, if they can't rest, if they can sort of apply their rest time constructively. I think that's a great thing. So you would just put it down to who you are. That's the reason that you didn't see real, any difference between the two approaches. I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's who, who I became like the, you know, I was, I was so used to the side hustle that or the, I was, I was basically just so used to like getting off the bike and onto the computer. And that started in college when I was, when, when the, the computer came first. Um, I think balancing a lot of things can, can be healthy and, and one thing can make you good at the other and, and vice versa. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I feel like there's, there's some pros who, you know, in, in October you take a month off and if you don't have anything to do, uh, you're going to go insane. Like all those guys, they're, you know, they're working on their house now. They're, uh, they're, they're going on hikes, um, like certain times of year. Like it's, it's totally like they could have a job working construction and they'd probably enjoy it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's balance versus, versus focus is a weird thing that I never completely figured out. Um, and I don't think anyone, it's a, it's a process. Yeah. And on that note of, yeah, seeing what, um, sort of other, professionals do in cycling on their off season and I don't know I was watching something the other days like what do you do in the off season oh I, I run I'm like that's, that's not an off season but yeah it's this it's exactly what you're talking about they need to do something if you train so much you ride like like those guys do like like I did like you can't you can't just stop uh I I would find I would take a week off that like my first week off in October um the, the second day like if I'm not doing something physical I can't sleep like it doesn't, it doesn't work. You have to, I would have to like, okay, I got to go hit the gym for 20 minutes. It's not a four hour, you know, bike ride with, with hard climbs. But like, if I don't exercise, like my, my, your body falls apart. Um, and, and I think I'm, I'm sure that's universal at, at that level of, of athletics. So you say falls apart, but is it 
is it kind of like you're always in a depleted state that you all of a sudden have so much energy or, you know, you don't know what to do with it? Yeah, I think there's just, there's, there's like natural rhythms as far as like nutrition and, and what your body is expecting from you at certain times of year and, and at certain times of day that like, if you, if you disrupt that, um, it's going to affect everything else. So you kind of have to ease, ease into everything and ease out of everything and, and everything in moderation, including rest. How about in retirement? What's your body doing now? Um, it's been weird. The, uh, this year I kind of, because I've sort of been, I've been, I became like half a Strava pro. Um, so I've got this YouTube channel, but so basically what it, what it did is it enabled me to, to, to not train, but I'm still riding. And, and I cut my riding volume down pretty much in half, um, which, which was, was weird on my body. Like my body is used to riding 20 to 25 hours a week and I'm riding 10 to 15. Um, but I'm riding harder. And, but I, and I, but I still have like physical goals. It's, it's sort of been a good in between to, to ease out of being a full-time athlete, being kind of like a part-time, uh, entertainment athlete. I'm, I don't, I don't know what to call it, but, uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm happy that I didn't have to just stop and, you know, sit in an office from nine to five. Um, and because I imagine that that would have really thrown all my, all my, all my body for a loop. All right. Number three on the list, the gear, all the top bikes, components, clothing, new stuff every year. It's got to be an advantage to being a pro. Um, well, yeah, yeah, that, that part's nice. Um, you don't realize how nice it is until you stop and, and you're like, wait, how much is sunglasses? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that, that kind of thing, it, it adds up. And then you, you also, you get spoiled on the quality of it too. Um, where we're just, uh, you know, I'm used to riding, you know, $400 shoes. And, uh, and you, you try like the, the lower end, you put on like a lower end shoe and it's like, oh yeah, those are, that's, I don't have to ride those. That, that was, uh, <laughs> the, like you, you feel something like you didn't realize how, you don't realize how good your stuff is until you try on like something lower that like, oh man, this, this frame flexes, you know, uh, or this or any of it. It's, it's every, every little feature. It's, uh, you, you realize how spoiled you were and how, how nice everything was. And that's something that, that. Being having the sponsors relationships this year has been very nice too. Is I can I can keep having the good stuff. I don't have to go down go down a notch yet. You talk about this moment in the book where Tom Danielson throws his vest away during a race, and you're kind of like you know you had this moment where that was crazy, and then but you decide to throw yours away just to see what it felt like. <laughs> That's right. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's it's sort of a I, I came from all these small teams where you you know, you get one vest and they don't have like backups. You kinda like they you get your clothing a lot in the beginning of the year. Um World Tour, they have so many clothes. Like it's 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 insane how much you get. Thirty kits by the end of the year if I added them all up. Um because the thing is like they want you to look good. They want you to not worry about it. Um and 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 yeah, part of it is if you're in a race and you you can't worry about like carrying your vest if it's a mountaintop finish and there's no one to hand it off to. Um, it's and and the sponsors sort of like they want you to win and not have and not have to worry about going back for your vest uh, at the finish. <laughs> um, but it's a funny thing that like that's that's a luxury that you get in the world tour that you don't even get as as you know a, a, a lower level pro um, where. Where yeah, we're going up this this it's like a five minute climb to the to the line and the group is like twenty guys left. And um and Danielson, I saw him taking off his vest and I was like, Oh, here, I'll take that for you, because that was my job. Um and he's like, No, we need you to not carry my vest. We need you to go rip it on the front. And and he just threw it into the into the bushes. And uh and then I was like, That's crazy, because I know what those vests cost and 
I, I know my team would have killed me the year before for throwing my vest. And, uh, but I also, I was wearing a vest I need to get rid of. And so I threw mine too. I was like, Hey, look at that. <laughs> I'm one of those guys. Yeah. That's classic. I, I saw someone on the weekend, it was a pro cyclocross racer. They threw their glasses off and they're on Twitter later asking for them back. Cause they were their favorites. Oh, oops. Yeah. You got to be careful with Bad that chance though. If you throw glasses, it's a baller move to throw your sunglasses, but, but you got to have enough. Yeah. I think this guy's good enough. Uh, <laughs> number four, uh, life on tour and generally having everything done for you. So everything organized for you, mechanics that'll do anything for you. Uh, your bike's always in good condition. You can roll out of your house and a taxi will be there and you'll have a plane ticket. Is that a good element? Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, I mean, that was that was definitely fun. That was definitely like, that was a world tour thing as well. I mean, even the, the amateur teams, the regular teams, they they did take care of logistics for the most part, but but really being like babied. And, and then that goes with, with being able to focus on on one job and one task um, where, where they would just do all the extra things for you. And they had it all set up where, where your job was to train and you didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, looping your chain where, where now, if, if now, like I have, I have a, I still have a bike mechanic sponsors. VeloFix is like this mobile bike shop thing, but like, I have to check and see if my chain is worn out to see if I need a new one. And then I have to call them, which is, it's still done for me, but it's still more work than it was when I was a pro where someone would check it for me and change it. And I wouldn't even know it happened. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a, a nice, a nice little little room. Maybe eventually you have to kind of come down from that as well. Like the training. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everything, everything will be eased into, uh, eventually I'm a person who changes my own chain and I'll be fine. <laughs> uh, number five, fame and recognition, which I don't know if it's been a positive in the last week or so. But um, being famous is kind of part of it. Not everybody's going to be famous in like a big grand sense or whatever, but at least being recognized as a pro from time to time must be a nice thing. Um, you're, I, I don't know. I think uh, cycling fans, I think pro cyclists are less famous than you'd think um, if you're a cycling fan. Because, like if you're a fan, you think like, oh, these guys are a big deal because they're they're a big deal to you. But you don't realize how few cycling fans there actually are. Um, I. I didn't get recognized on the street until I started doing my YouTube show like that, that honestly, like being a pro, it, it almost, almost never moved the needle as far as like someone tapping me on the shoulder at a restaurant saying, Hey, are you Phil Guyman? Like on, on the, when you're on the bike and you're wearing your team kit, uh, you might get an extra wave and somebody asks for a photo or something. It's, it's cool. Like recognition is cool. Validation is cool. But I think you learn that like, that doesn't, that shouldn't really define you as a person or, or make you feel happier about yourself. That's probably not a healthy way to to go through life, and and it's something that like will go away <laughs> um, when when you stop. So I think uh, I think most pros sort of take that as it is. It's it's kind of a fun thing, but uh, but it's it's not as it's not as the the, the fame really isn't like you'd expect. Um, and yeah, it's 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 just sort of on the side. I don't know. I never I never quite felt like I I was I was famous or deserved to be famous or had any recognition beyond what what made sense. And it was always it's it's still bizarre if someone wants a photo with me. Like that's just confusing um, in in my soul. Um, there's definitely uh, enough haters out in the world, though. For whatever reason, there's a bunch of Phil Gaiman haters. <laughs> the the downs. That's the other thing too. Is the downside is it outweighs the upside where, where if it, this is, I think this is everyone, but, but it's certainly me. Where like, if you see, if you see 10 really nice tweets and one really shitty one, like you just remember the shitty one, like the, the, the frustration and the, and the pain of like being a name that people have opinions about whether they're good or bad. 
Like if, if they have opinions about you, there's going to be some bad. And, and it's just a lot of times it's not worth it. Like it's nice having, having fans, but like the, I don't know, I've, I've, I, I got like a death threat last week, man. Like it's not worth it. Is the attention really not worth it? Death threats are just the tip of the iceberg. What happens on the other side of pro cycling and how did Phil deal with it? That's in the next episode of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. It's time for The Radar, the segment of the show where I talk about something that has popped up on my radar, whether it's a product, study, or performance tip. And this week, we're looking at a meta-analysis called The Influence of Drinking Fluid on Endurance Cycling Performance. It's relevant if you're riding, training, or racing under 60 minutes because this meta-analysis concluded that fluid intake doesn't improve performance and may actually decrease it. It also concluded that if you're riding one to two hours, drinking fluid increases improvement by around 2% or more. And riding for two to four hours, it's a 3% performance gain. So what were the results? The results of the studies after converting the performance outcomes into a similar metric so they could identify the impact of drinking fluid on endurance cycling performance breaks down like this. And I want to make a note here that there was a limited number of research manuscripts nine to be exact. Not a lot to draw results from, but hey, it's all we have. So what did they say exactly? If you're riding less than one hour at 80% of VO2 max, which is approximately riding at your functional threshold power or FTP, this could be like a cyclocross race or a time trial, a 60 minute time trial. Your output, your power output was reduced by around minus 2.5% plus or minus 0.8% when fluid was consumed, concluding that fluid intake may not be required when you're riding at this intensity for this duration. In contrast, cycling greater than one hour and equal to or less than two hours at a moderate intensity of around 60 to 75% of VO2 max, which is in your tempo sweet spot zone, which is around 75 to 88% of your FTP, endurance cycling performance improved by 2.1% plus or minus 1.5%. And if you were doing more than two hours, your performance increase would be around 3.2% plus or minus 1.2%. So the fluid ingestion compared with no fluid intake is going to give you an extra boost in performance. The recommendations for fluid intake are as follows. A rate of fluid consumption of between 0.15 and 0.35 milliliters times kilogram body weight times minutes of intensity. If it's around an hour, then that level is associated with the reductions in your cycling performance. So if you're going to drink in a cyclocross race or a TT, maybe it's just to wet your whistle or to get rid of your dry mouth because by limiting fluid, it may actually work out better for you performance-wise. When cycling greater than one hour or less than or equal to two hours, the recommendation is for 0.15 to 0.20 milliliters per kilogram per minute. As an example, here's a 60 kilogram athlete. And if they were going for the first 60 minutes, you would have 
0.15 to 0.2 milliliters times 60 kilograms times 60 minutes. This equals between 540 milliliters to 720 milliliters of fluid total for each hour. So a max of 1,080 or 1,440 milliliters fluid total for the two hours that you're riding. Anything beyond two hours, the recommendation is a little less fluid or surprisingly drinking to thirst. So just simply drinking whenever you feel thirsty. But if you are going to use a prescribed fluid intake, use these numbers, 0.14 to 0.27 milliliters per kilogram per minute. An example of fluid intake of our 60 kilogram cyclist is if a 60 kilogram cyclist was riding for three hours, they would do 0.14 to 0.27 milliliters times 60 kilograms times 180 minutes. And this equals between 1,512 to 2,916 milliliters of fluid total or around 500 or 972 milliliters per hour. These recommendations actually follow the one bidden per hour rule that has been around forever and what I've used forever. I use the idea that one race bidden is 500 milliliters and try and get one of those in per hour. The only change here is that if you're doing just an hour, then you don't need to suck down those 500 milliliters of fluid. So in some ways, it's nice to see that there is some science backing up this traditional idea. And in other ways, it's really interesting that you may be hurting your performance if you're having a lot of fluid over a one hour effort. In the next episode of the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast, when you're a pro cyclist in a business that can be ruthless, how do you stop yourself from being so bitter at the shitty things that can happen to you? It doesn't sound like you're this bitter guy that kind of failed in his career or whatever. I feel like I did I did fail in my career, um, and I'm, I'm probably bitter about it in certain ways, but it was it was always my choice. Like, everything I did was ultimately, like, you, you can say, like, oh, so-and-so was out to get me, but, like, no one's out to get you. Like, if Vodders took advantage of me, it was because I was in a position that he could take advantage of me. That and more coming up in the next show. If you are new to semi-pro cycling, check out the back catalogue of shows on all aspects of performance at semiprocycling.com or sign up for the weekly workout stack, the guide that shows you how to structure your training week and use your training time more effectively. And I'll also send you the best of our episodes straight to your inbox. All right, well, I'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.